Welcome back to another episode of the Go Within podcast. My name is Yasmin and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being interested in another story about going within and the inner journey and all of the challenges and blessings that that brings with it. It's been a really beautiful week, a couple of weeks actually for me because I've been working with my stress reset group. Some of you might have heard me talk about this four-week program I'm doing, and it's just been so beautiful to be in space with these seven beautiful souls who have come together to go within, really, because actually dealing with our stress is all about becoming more conscious about the things that we do and bringing more light into what are the things that really cause us emotional pain and frustration. And even though stress alone is something that we don't necessarily associate with a go-within journey. Actually, that inner journey is the best and most sustainable long-term solution for stress. Because you can go on a holiday, you can do things which in the short term alleviate your stress, but there are solutions out there which actually deal with stress in the long term. And if you ever heard the interview that I did uh, with myself, <laughs> where my sister interviewed me and I, I spoke a bit about my burnout, you'll know that I really believe that when we do this inner work, the shifts that happen are a lot deeper and a lot more sustainable. So we don't keep booming and busting. So it's been really beautiful to me to witness these four people come into the space as an amazing community spirit and everyone's supporting each other to to do the inner work and that's got me really hyped up right now <laughs> so i thank you to all of you who are participating in that program and any of you interested there will be another group starting on the 21st of march so if that's something that interests you then just uh, hit me up so without further ado i'm going to introduce you to this week's guest which is who is one of my oldest, if not my oldest, friend. <laughs> Her name is Alex Kakia. And what's so beautiful about our friendship is that we've both gone on very similar journeys, sort of in parallel, not exactly together every step of the way. We've gone off and, and had different experiences in life, but on a very similar timeline, we went through very similar experiences. And that's a real blessing for my life because having people who can relate to you is so so beautiful and and they can really help support you when you need and also give you a little bit of a kick in the backside when you also need it and you know in in a in a society where there's actually more people around us urging us to live unhealthy lives than urging us to live healthy lives environments like this and friendships like these are a real blessing and that is actually why I started Sanya and why I do this podcast because I want you to hear as a listener other stories so that you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you are the crazy soul doing this because social pressure can really get to us and really slow us down on that inner journey. I mean if you think about even just the whole thing with alcohol and drinking there's so much like bravado and like oh come on just have a drink oh come on do it and and we do this a lot with a lot of unhealthy habits so this is something in Malta particularly you know we have such a small tight-knit community that it can be very hard to break out of old habits and old lifestyle patterns so yeah this this friendship is a blessing I think this conversation is gonna be one that you really enjoy because Alex is just so honest and vulnerable about the things that have challenged her 
she really talks about, you know, some very deep <laughs> and vulnerable things that have held her back and, and how she found the solutions to them. We didn't plan the conversation at all. I never plan these conversations. It's a meandering. We, we spoke about things which I really had no idea that we would talk about. But as soon as we did go on to those topics, I said, that is so beautiful. Like, this is why I don't plan them, because it is so great to just have that spontaneous flow. And usually whatever I plan would not be as great as what happens spontaneously. So thank you all for tuning in. I'm not going to keep banging on too much longer. I really hope you enjoy this story. It is a story of healing, a story of inner reflection, a story, a hero's journey, really. And thank you all for caring about the importance of these conversations. Here it is, my chat with Alex. Boom. So we're live. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, and welcome, Alex. We're going to dive deep into another Go Within story. And I'm really happy to have you on the podcast because it's really been interesting. Our journeys have really paralleled. We've been friends for a really long time, pretty much our whole lives. And I think our dads were also best friends uh-huh. and probably their dads before from, them. From little girls, we used to play together on the sea. <laughs> yes, totally. I have all those memories. <laughs> And it's really beautiful that we've both separately and simultaneously gone through quite similar journeys within ourselves. We've done a lot of self-seeking and healing and all different... I think if we write a list of all the different workshops we've been to between the two of us, it will be a really long list. Yes, and actually my, my very first encounter with like spirituality and the stuff it was that experience we had had with the lights and shadows yes that, that was a good story <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we did a, a very hardcore workshop and we we didn't realize actually what we were getting ourselves in for no no definitely and not. we took both of our mothers with us and it was really not a good idea <laughs> to do family uh-huh. constellations family very constellations with lights and shadows with our parents our mothers yes it was it was not good uh-huh. <laughs> i mean good but also very challenging uh-huh. that was yeah. my first encounter i think with like spirituality or going within and it was uh, i remember you telling me oh you had just come back from Peru and you were like really into the stuff. And you're like, oh, there's this workshop and family constellation. So I guess we should invite our moms. And <laughs> it ended up being this crazy journey. And we were actually going up to Gozo every night, you remember? Yes. Coming back down because we were doing a million things and wanting to have fun as well in the breaks. Yeah. And uh, it ended up being, I would say, the start of, of a, a beautiful journey. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to that time in both of our lives, there was, I went to Peru and you also went to Vietnam. And I think we experienced quite similar things there where we left sort of the known reality, our day-to-day life, the way we were used to living and just stepped into completely unknown territory alone, which is quite rare for people to do, to go traveling completely alone, especially as women. And I, I know for myself, it really allowed me to challenge a lot of my beliefs and patterns that I was used to doing at home. And it was a catalyst, but it also brought a lot of challenges with it. Yes, I mean, for me, I think I was always like, when I said I wanted to travel, everyone was going to Australia at that time, and I really wanted to just go somewhere different. So my first place was, um, I went to Kenya. So I went straight, literally day two of my big let's say, traveling trip was like in a, in a slum in Nairobi. Um, and it was, it was a very intense exp- experience, actually, because 
um, I went, my dad told me, okay, you're going to Africa by yourself. I think I must have been like 21 at the time. And he's like, please, at least when you arrive, the first place you go, go to this Maltese nun and she has a convent in the middle of Nairobi. Just at least the first night you stay with someone that we know. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that deal with you. And I went to this Maltese nun and um, she was amazing because her whole life is just in service of God. So whatever she was told to do, she would just do it. No questions asked. So her mother superior once called her up and I think she was from like Musta or something. And she just said, you're going to Ethiopia. So she just packed her bags, went to Ethiopia, um, spent 19 years running a convent in Ethiopia. And then the sister, the sister called her up again, she said, you're going to Kenya. So by the time I had met her, she was, um, uh, I think she was, she had already been 40 years being like a head nun, as they call it. And I stayed with this nun and straight away I went into these slums. And I remember going into this little hut in the middle of the slum. And I was sitting on the sofa and there was this woman taking care of a child. And he was... He, you know, I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but his one leg was shorter than the other. And his, his parents had uh, both gotten killed in the, in the war that they had had in, in Kenya. And his sister had also died in front of him. So he had become quite traumatized, this child. And this woman um, had adopted him. And she also had a, a disabled son. She was living in this hut. And she had no money. And the person who had the son before him had left him in a wheelchair, like abandoned, let's say, excreting in the wheelchair all day. And this woman, out of the kindness of her heart, adopted the second um, disabled child. And this was her life, taking care of, of, these, of these kids. And she had no money. And literally, they would excrete right outside the house. And I was on the sofa and I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't even, I couldn't even be there. You know, I was so uncomfortable with the poverty and the struggle that they had, that it, it challenged me and I, I couldn't even sit on the sofa. And then I was judging myself for just not even being able to sit in the, the being of their life, you know? And then I, had, I went home and I emailed my dad and I just, I was really challenged with this reality of like, how am I born in this privileged, happy family, you know, where, where all my needs are met, let's say my basic needs. And it's like, I couldn't understand what makes me be being born in this random situation. And it's, it erupted a lot of, of soul searching for me because I just, I needed to make sense of it, you know. And that was, uh, that was the beginning of, of my journey. And then I remained, I remained volunteering at this, at this slum for a few months because I just wanted to give in that situation. And lots of little children and without parents and it's a completely different world over there. So how did you get past that discomfort initially? Well... I think what I realized was, first of all, it gave me a lot of gratitude and that helped me to just feel really grateful. And also I felt this, at, at that time I wanted to give and I just wanted to give back to the world and I wanted to support others and, and our planet. And that was always a passion for me, but sort of this, let's say, propelled it a little bit more. And uh, also going on a, let's say, an inward journey of, of rediscovering myself and the sense of trying to give meaning to my life, but at the same time, realizing the, the, the bigger picture of me in this, in this big world. So, uh -huh. 
it was a journey going on that's kept on going on. Like it was the inquiry. fire starter. <laughs> yes, exactly. The self inquiry just remained. I mean, it's still yeah. happening now. I think it's a really interesting issue that you you brought up that we've actually never gone into on this podcast of you know that idea of being born into privilege and what we do with that because there's kind of two ways I see it. Like one side is a lot of people take advantage of their privilege and they use it to maintain power and maintain authority Mm -hmm. and sort of dominate over others. Mm -hmm. Then there are other people who use that privilege to serve and give because Mm -hmm. actually when you are in that position where you don't need to struggle to survive, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of energy that you can use to serve others and help others. But I think also nowadays another issue which has come in is that, and I know I struggled with this as well, is that we feel guilty for our privilege and we sort of reject it. And also shame sometimes. Yes. Because recently it's interesting this has come up because I went to a school reunion and we had like a, someone got a banner printed of our school and, you know, we were putting it up, taking photos and then one of my friends was like, come on, put it down, put it down, like hide it. And I started to realize that he was ashamed of like having our school name. And at first I couldn't understand why. And then I realized because I think a strong part of him was feeling really guilty for maybe being born into privilege and having, let's say, the wealth of his family put him into a lot of shame. And he didn't want to, let's say, give the image that he was bragging about his school, you know. And instead, it, it led him to feel shame for being, you know, lucky enough, let's say, to, to go to a private school in this scenario. And I, I realized, like, oh, what a pity, like, to have the, to be lucky enough to enjoy, you know, um, let's say, something that's not easy for everyone to get. And then to feel guilty about it and not even, let's say, appreciate it or feel gratitude for it. Because then with that gratitude, you, it can power you to, to sort of give and support others and fuel your service to the world. For sure. I mean, I think that shame can serve a purpose to make you realize that privilege is something that can be abused. And many people do. And that's why many people are ashamed of their privilege, because they see other people in privilege abusing and they don't want to be included in that kind of group. Right. But that shame as of itself does not help us in any way. We need to just realize that there's nothing really to be ashamed of if we're not abusing it, right? And actually we can use it to help others and and then it becomes a source of pride in a way. Yes, and for me, this is really parallel to just our our relationship with money. So I spent a long time working for NGOs and volunteering and I realized my relationship with money was very distorted and I judged, um, let's say, doing things for money. And this for me is exactly the same thing. It's the same parallel with money. And I started to explore my relationship with money because my relationship with money is completely different. Your relationship to someone else's relationship. I think ours might have a few similarities. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, like everything else. Um, And I just, I started to see what was I taught about money by my parents? What were they taught? And I started to write down and create this whole money story about like what, how do I see money? And then I started to realize, because maybe I had some, I was growing up around a lot of family conflict around money and fighting and arguing. I realized that I created this belief that if I pursued money, then I it would destroy my family. 
Or if I was pursuing money, I wasn't going with my values of family and it was wrong. So it led me to like volunteer for most of my life, leaving me struggling quite often with being able to pay for basic things. And I, my conscience told me, it's okay, you're doing good things, so it's fine that you're not making any money um, because you're, you're just giving. And even when people would try to pay me, I would like turn it away. And then I started realizing that it wasn't doing me any, any, any good in a way. And no, the people that you serve. Yes, exactly. And I started to change my completely my, exp- my perspective on money and to value it as an energy, just like you can really appreciate privilege and let's say use it in, for good and for service and for helping others. The same with money, because money is an energy and it, as it flows through your life, you can, you can propel uh, more amazing projects. And this thing about guilt with, with let's say, in the, in the world of like NGOs or like spirituality or the hippie world, there's a lot of this idea that oh, if, you're, if you're following money or if you have a business or if you're doing things for money, then, there's, then it's wrong and you're greedy and money is wrong. And, um, you know, this, this is a pity because a lot of these people who really love the earth and they really love people and they want to see all these amazing things with humanity, then these people push away money because they feel that it's a, a bad energy. But really it's our greed as, uh, as human beings that sort of can distort money and the beautiful things we can do with money. Totally. This is why I never planned these podcasts, you know, because if I had <laughs> sat down and planned what we're going to talk about today, I would not have listed money as one of them, but I'm so glad we're talking about <laughs> it because it's such a beautiful conversation. And I, I think I had a similar realization to you that... I also spent, especially around the time of university, very much rejecting money, rejecting capitalism, rejecting business, seeing only the dark side of money. And it took me many years to realize that actually money just amplifies who we are. If we're greedy, money is going to make us more greedy. If we want to do good, money is going to enable us to do more good. Mm -hmm. But I think this whole, you know, cultural story about money and and what it means to be someone that values money has really distorted a lot of our perception of the the way that we work in the world and as you said your money comes and you actually reject it you say no I don't need it but then at the same time you have a project that needs resources that's trying to help people and money could be that bridge and it's easy in a way to make that let's say correlation with money because you see people who um, start receiving more money for their, let's say, their work or their, their status. And then sometimes that position of power, I think power is the thing that can really distort us as human beings and maybe stray us from our values. But automatically we think, oh, because they have more money, then, you know, money is making them greedy and, and, and all of these things. And at the same time, it's the same thing with privilege, you know, the way we, 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 we can... Uh, like disregard it or sort of push it away it's like pushing away money at the same time because we don't use it as, as something that can help others and I started realizing that it, it was such a pity you know and I started working on my money story and looking at it differently and I like what Petra Kelly says because she's a, um, a writer that I follow and she she taught me a lot about this this money energy and she says if money was a person um, and it heard what he would say about it behind its back. <laughs> you know, w- would it come to you? 
you know. So if you're saying, uh, you know, money's the root of all evil and, you know, I don't have enough money, money never comes to me, you know, mon- money means greed, you know. And if you were money and you had your friend talking about you, you wouldn't like be like, hey, I'm coming over. <laughs> so energetically, we push it away because we see it as this dirty thing. And she brings all these practices in, like feeling gratitude for um, all the things we invest. Even the word, for example, spend, it's or automatically making a negative feeling with we've spent the money, like we spend time, like we've lost it, you know. And she sort of talks about money like it's a funnel that sort of like we're, we're under a tap and money flows through us because we can never own money because we're constantly receiving it and we're giving it. So we never own money. You don't write your name on a on a on a on a. A year, on, a on a note and then like that's mine but <laughs> you know so it just passes through us and it's just allowing that that openness and I started to see like when I would go to pay a bill I'd feel this tightness in my body like mm, you know like this resistance to just paying bills and I started to witness that and and be like okay you do a gratitude rampage so okay I'm feeling resistance for paying my water and electricity and I would think about it and I'd go but actually this enables me to have showers, enables me to cook, to, to keep my house clean. So I start to think of all the amazing things that I get from water and electricity. I have lights at the na- in the night, I can charge my laptop, all these amazing things. And then suddenly this tightness of, let's say, investing this money in water and electricity feels really light. And I feel in this gratitude, which... I'm like, wow, it's so worth it. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's not always easy. Like recently I got a ticket for, for speeding, you know, and it's like really hard. It was hard <laughs> to find some gratitude for that. But then I said, okay... Let me go deeper. So actually, I'm really grateful that there are speeding fines because if there weren't, there'd be more more speed, more accidents, more people dying, you know, more danger. So in a way, I'm really grateful that there's this pla- this system in place that if I overspeed, I get a ticket. So I felt more gratitude to pay it, um, which is which took a bit of work. <laughs> and it's not, still not easy. And still, my relationship with money is constantly, I'm, I'm constantly working on it, at it and... Do you think uh, there was something in your life or at a particular point that made you, you have this desire to go within and look at yourself and, and improve. You have this quite like fire of self-improvement. Where do you think that came from? Mm. Well, <laughs> the fire of self-improvement, I think, actually comes from... I, I guess it just comes from wanting approval from my dad. The the like the fire of it and the like overdoing. Um because I realized that I was always burning myself out, doing, 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 doing. And I would always go through this pattern of burning myself out. And I realized the root through all of the self-work was I just wanted approval from my dad because I had chosen an all alternative um, let's say, way of life that that and lifestyle which is not, let's say, the norm. I felt that he couldn't really understand what I was doing. And I realized that it's not the, the actual doing, it's more like the, the force of it, the forcing against life that mm-hmm. sort of came from me wanting my dad's approval. You mean you felt like you were doing too much Yes, the, the, uh-huh, like always wanting to be seen. In reality, uh-huh. I wasn't like sending him things of all the things I was doing, but mm-hmm. the deep core of it was just mm-hmm. wanting this approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And it led me down to, you know, my childhood when there were certain maybe experiences I had where I felt like lack of acceptance or lack of love. And these are sort of things that I've learned to, to, to heal within myself. Because in the reality, the reality is that my dad loves me 
and whatever I do, it doesn't make a difference. And whether he tells me or not, it shouldn't be the reason for me to constantly want to improve and be better. Mm-hmm. But it's it was a beautiful realization and it led me to go into some deeper wounds mm-hmm. that were affecting my whole way of life. Mm-hmm. And and now I re- as soon as I recognized that and I sort of worked through a lot of self-love and self-acceptance and self-worth, which I'm still working on to this day, um, my relationship with my dad really improved a lot and it's completely changed and I feel so grateful for that because I feel like just excited to to be around him and spend time with him and grateful mm-hmm. for him and you know even though probably he his ideas of success are very different to mine I still feel okay with that and it doesn't it doesn't sting like it did when I was younger anymore mm-hmm. but I get the sense that your your passion for this inner work is not Maybe there is a part of it that's sort of uh, inspired by your relationship with your dad. But it seems like you have this deeper calling with it. That Mm. there's this, I don't know quite how to describe it, but there's this beauty in it that you really value this. And it's not something that that is that common. Not that many people really invest in their inner work in the way that you have. And yeah, I'm just curious where that comes from. I think it's something that, like, let's say, started at a certain point and then through an experience of, like, healing something or realizing what's stored in the body, like when, when I did some something like holotropic breathing or ayahuasca, when, when these traumas show, show up and I realized, oh, my God, I was holding this traumatic experience in my body for most of my life. It's such an eye-opener to, like, how that can create disease and sickness that for me it was like oh I just want to clean myself and also I want to heal these wounds and sort of be a better version so that I can I can give more and those experiences the more I had them the more it fueled this excitement and wanting to share that with others because you know just witnessing firsthand others journey and my own journey of like how much you can heal when you go into that that deep like trauma and pain that's so so suppressed and so hidden it's it just blew my mind and it just fueled more and more of wanting to do the stuff and then more experiences and more experiences and it just led me um, down the rabbit hole <laughs> yes and the first moment I can realize where I was always let's say an activist and I was always wanting to do environmental work and and uh, you know we used to we used to do a lot of work together with Get Up, Stand Up and, and things like that. So I was always, you know, very passionate about helping others in the world. But I had this one moment. It's almost like I feel like I woke up in this moment. And I was I was working at um, an auditing firm. And I, was, I decided that after I finished my degree, I'm going to go to India and do some traveling. So I applied for a visa and we, you need to have insurance for this. So I went to an insurance office and I had to go very early because I was also working um, full time at this audit firm. So I went really early. I went at like eight in the morning to this audit firm and I got there before people had arrived. So I was just waiting in the reception sort of next to all the desks and just sitting there. And at this moment I was at university. I was working at an audit audit firm. So I was very busy, you know, and I started seeing people approaching their desk, starting their day and many people going towards their desk and 
saying hello and embracing each other and you had they had pictures of of their family on their desk and their mugs and it really felt like these people have been here a long time and this is their day-to-day existence you know every day doing the same thing and that led me to connect something that I had been learning over the years because I was working in human resources and I was literally inputting the uh, the leaf of all like the holidays of of everyone in the firm for two years let's say and I could see this pattern of let's say people coming in um, like on part-time and they're on they're on a student contract and then they come in and then they go to full-time then they have exams and they go back to part-time then they come back to full-time and then they go on to maternity leave because they have kids and then they go back on to part-time because they they want to keep the kids going and then they go back on to full-time then two years later they have another child and they go back on to maternity leave and I started to see this for 200 people the same exact pattern and this understanding or seeing this develop and being at this insurance um, broker and seeing these people come back to their desk and every day and every day and I suddenly I had this like breakdown where I like couldn't breathe and I started palpitating and I like I just couldn't breathe and I was just like panicking you know like I had this panic like oh my god is this my life it's gonna be the same every day for the next 20 years and the, the woman came up to me with some water she's like you're okay I'm like yes I'm okay and then eventually I calmed down and after that my life was never the same I could never see life in the same way and before that I was driven by wanting to be a success and wanting to be like have an amazing career and be at the top and that's what I wanted because let's say that's what looked good in my dad's eyes and there's nothing wrong with that and it's beautiful but suddenly I connected to if I have one life what am I going to do that's going to have the best impact and I'm going to enjoy myself and enjoy it and you know end up enjoying life now and being more present with with the joy of it now and not working towards something in the future and so that was the first moment that sort of just shifted my whole perception of reality Uh yeah I've actually never heard you tell me that story before no it's really interesting and it's funny because I actually had quite a similar moment Mm. um mine was a bit different because it was mainly fueled by when I started smoking weed (laughs) (laughs) and when I started smoking I was at university and it gave me that sense that I'm in a film and everything around in this reality everything that I was looking at just seemed like a movie Mm -hmm. and I remember just sitting I can't remember if I was in in my house or in a cafe or something I just remember looking past all the people in the street and everyone's just walking like a zombie you know just like from here to there without without really that much awareness about whether we're doing things we want to do how we feel about the things we're doing there was a sort of dullness and numbness to life Mm. and it also really freaked me out Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like I can't do this and I was studying economics at the time and my career path was going to be similar you go and work in finance and lots of money you know Mm -hmm. that that similar path I remember (laughs) (laughs) and I remember just thinking no I can't do this and in fact that's where my inspiration came to go to Peru I just said I can't, I can't keep following in this life that's sort of set for me. I want to discover what are the things that really make me happy and, and experience enough adventure to be able to say that I lived. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something really important. And I guess our generation are quite lucky because I think we have a lot more adventures than our parents' generation, especially with the reduction in air cost. You know, it's very easy for our generation to just go to Bali or go to Peru or go here, there and everywhere. 
it's a very common thing now to travel. And I think that's really helped us to become more aware about the things that we choose and whether we're happy doing the things that we do. But of course, at the same time, there is still that societal pressure that tells you you need to have a stable career, you need to have kids and get married and, and all of that. So it's quite interesting that just randomly, you know, people just get these moments of thinking like, whoa, hold up. This is not something uh-huh. I want to just fall into automatically. And I think in a way, we, we, we all get these moments and it's just whether we're um, choosing to listen or we sort of numb it out because sometimes it can be painful to realize to look at our life and see like oh actually what am I doing you know even even with this awareness I have moments where I get like caught up in something that is not really what I want to be doing and I end up on the wrong path and and practicing these tools that help with self-awareness allow me to like take a step back and not get caught into the the seriousness of it and the let's say the rat race in a way because it's easy to fall into that because we all let's say have things we need to pay and we all have responsibilities and we can get caught up in in feeling overwhelmed by the pressures of life when in reality we always have that power to step beyond it you know into that silent space but it's easy to fall into it (laughs) i think that's what's so beautiful about all these self-development and spirituality style workshops is that they give you the opportunity to take a step out of the daily routine of life and actually answer and ask Mm -hmm. certain questions to yourself that can really help spur you on to living in a more conscious way. Mm -hmm. What what do you think are some of the the workshops and the tools that have helped you the most? So the first thing that comes up is dance. When I started to learn how to express myself through dance in a way that I had no inhibitions and I wasn't worrying about how I looked in front of others, it just blew my mind in a way because I got so high. I'm like, whoa, I can dance like no one's looking in front of people and feel accepted and feel like I'm just being myself. And that activity and getting so high from that on nothing, just the act of like breathing this life force into myself was so uh, amazing to me. I was like, whoa, I can like party in a way, like dance on nothing and get really, really high, maybe even more high than I did when I used to, you know, drink alcohol and go to to clubs, you know. Like, I still love to dance. And that was a real moment for me. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Why are we, like, going out drinking alcohol, feeling really shitty the next day when we can just do that without it, you know, and express ourselves more? Because, you know, in a way, people in a club often dance pretty similar in the same way. And just for our listeners out there, she's doing a little uh, uh. example of that right now. And I it looks good. <laughs> um, That's uh, your like how people dance. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not, I'm obviously I'm not generalizing, but I remember when I used to be in a club, yes, for sure. I, mean, I used to dance on. in a way that I wanted to look cool. You know, I wanted yeah. people to think I was like cool. But when I started to dance in a way that really felt like I was expressing myself, it doesn't look cool at all. <laughs> looks really weird. Yeah, I mean, that's this is uh-huh. a very big topic because at the end of the day, alcohol is numbing us mm-hmm. from our feelings. And mm-hmm. when you dance without any substances, you're going to your body's feeling and expressing that. Uh-huh. So there's no way that you could ever dance on something and express yourself as deeply as you do when you're uh-huh. not. Uh-huh. Definitely, that has really affected me. And uh-huh, it... For me, the craziest thing is 
with alcohol, it tastes, it doesn't taste good to me. I don't enjoy the taste. And I feel so terrible the next day that it's just, it's just not worth it for me. And I don't, I don't judge people that don't drink, that drink alcohol and, and, and use it. Because it can be helpful if you want to like loosen yourself up and connect with others. Some people feel more social with it. I can totally see the benefit of that. Um, but we don't need it actually. And I've lived life for so many years without it. That's, you know, even that discomfort of when you meet someone new and having a drink loosens you up, you can totally overcome that. And the more you do, the more you're out of your comfort and the easier it gets, you know. And it's just been, it's not even a choice I made. I never even decided I don't drink alcohol. It just happened. And it's one of the best things that, that happened to me, let's say, without me trying. Um, but it still challenges people around me sometimes. I think it's one of the most controversial lifestyle choices. Uh-huh. <laughs> like vegetarianism and veganism have become accepted, but the no drinking alcohol uh-huh. thing is still seen. I mean, my my family still ask me if I'm going to have a glass of wine. It's been, you know, nine years, uh-huh. <laughs> pretty much. So it still challenges them. Uh-huh. They can't really understand it. Um, and, and I get it because, you know, if you're not looking at things from a spiritual perspective... There's actually nothing wrong with it from a side, you know, especially some people just have a glass of wine here and there. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're, you know, drinking a ridiculous amount or anything. Um, but I think when you, for me anyway, when I, when I understood or I felt that when I drink alcohol, I'm less in touch with my feelings, that for me was just, I don't want that. And you, got, you know, I'm like a huge fan of Star Wars. <laughs> and one of the things in that, which I love, the teachings from that is, you know, this connection to the Force. And the Jedi and Star Wars, <laughs> they feel the Force through their feelings. Like, uh-huh. you have to feel, you have to go uh-huh. within to uh-huh. feel that connection to something bigger than yourself. And that is exactly uh-huh. true for our life. And your feelings, in a sense, are your most precious resource. So if there's something in your life which is numbing you, then for me anyway, I, I think I, I worked so hard to be able to feel that I'm just not willing to do anything that's going to take me backwards. Uh-huh. Yes, and I was, totally, I was totally numbing myself when I used to drink, like, hardcore. People who know me when I was younger, I mean, you knew I me. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, like, you know, like, just get all pass out. out in the bathroom yeah. and people used to, like, not know what to find me and I'd be passed out on the toilet, you know. So, like, I was totally numbing myself and I used to drink a lot and... It was very destructive because I it used to bring out violence and suppressed emotions and ah uh, it was n- not something that that I'm proud of you know and I feel so happy that I can I've still like let's say dealt with a lot of the demons that were there but not necessarily by them exploding through through alcohol and yeah and it's it's funny there's there's expression which is just pointless and harmful and then there's expression which is very healing and integrating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's really interesting because as uh-huh. you said like sometimes you do a holotropic breeding and a lot of darkness comes out but mm-hmm. when it comes out it's released mm-hmm. it's, it's and healed. out of the body exactly. exactly whereas when you do it unconsciously it actually just causes destruction in a way it's like i mean i don't know if everyone's experiences but when i become angry on alcohol it's almost like just you're like lighting a fire, you know, you're not really putting it out or letting it to be felt in the body and pass through you and then it's gone. It's sort of like you're just igniting it. Burning you know? yourself. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, so uh, it was one of the best things. And, and when I stopped drinking alcohol, which wasn't even a choice, it just sort of happened. I was still smoking a lot of weed at the time. And 
I, that was harder for me to stop. It was much harder because I was addicted to the nicotine. And for me, it was like discomfort, this escape. I felt like I deserved it. You know, at the end of the day, I worked so hard. I needed that like release, you know. And I felt so foggy in my mind. Like in the beginning, it used to it used to give me a lot of creativity and passion. And, and I enjoyed it a lot. And then at the end, it started clouding my mind. And to the point where I almost felt stupid. You know, I just couldn't focus. I couldn't think. I felt like I was losing brain cells <laughs> and I used to wake up tired and groggy. And then I realized I was just numbing myself. I, I don't think everyone does this, but for me, it was definitely that I was totally numbing myself. And I just went from alcohol to the weed. Yeah. I mean, you know, my story is uh-huh. very similar that I, I was definitely using weed to numb myself and mm-hmm. that then it takes many years to sort of uncover that and go mm-hmm. back and be like, okay, oh, I spent all of this time you know, damaging my nervous system mm-hmm. in a sense. And now I have to put all of this effort into uh-huh. actually being able to feel and heal and, and all of that. And it was harmless in the beginning for me. And then when I got to the point where it finished and I, I felt like a bit anxious. panicky and anxious, like I don't have it. Then I was like, okay, this is an addiction now. And the fact that I feel uncomfortable that I can't live without it is not a good sign. And even though it's a plant, I don't want to be so stuck on something that if I don't have it, I get anxious. So that led me to be like, okay, this isn't healthy anymore. And I can be honest with myself because I was lying to myself for a long time. I'm like, no, it helps me and this and that. And I'm sure it helps a lot of people, um, but it wasn't for me anymore. And I had to face the reality of that, the truth, because it's easy to lie to yourself sometimes when you're yeah. enjoying something. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of bypassing in our relationship with weed as a collective. And I understand because I was in that stage where I glorified it and I saw it as a good thing, like a tool to stop just following society and actually go within yourself and think for yourself. It it did help me do that. But one, we don't necessarily need that, right? There are so many other tools. It's just we don't, we don't have access to them. And secondly, what I think is that it is so addictive psychologically that we make up a lot of reasons that sound very credible, but really deep down. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing a lot more damage to our body than we mm-hmm. realize, especially if it's daily. That for me, I remember when I stopped smoking, I, I didn't smoke for a couple of years. And then I was at this uh, festival and someone passed me a joint and I took two, three drags of this joint. And because I hadn't smoked for so long, this two, three drags literally sent me into an orbit. <laughs> like I, I just got totally high. Mm-hmm. And... That was fine and it was okay. I felt a bit overstimulated and not that good, but it was okay. But the next day when I woke up, I literally felt like I had fried my entire nervous system. Mm-hmm. And that was with two, three drags. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to smoke joint after joint, you know, back in the uh-huh. day. And you get numb to it and you don't realize it's affecting your body. And maybe your body does adapt to different quantities, but underneath it all, your nervous system, which is basically the base of your health... This is it, too, because our body has such an amazing capacity to adapt to things that we don't even notice we're doing damage. So the the example of alcohol, for example, the more I drank of alcohol and the more often I drank, the more I didn't get affected by the alcohol. So I had to drink more. So that just means that, you know, if I drink something and my body doesn't react because it's so used to it, it doesn't mean that alcohol isn't doing many damage, just like with fried foods and things like that. If I eat a lot of them... It doesn't mean there's no damage, but my body's become so adapted and numb, let's say, to the effects that I don't even notice. And when I changed my diet, I mean, at the same time as you, um, we, we, 
it was like a completely revelation. And I realized in the beginning, I was like, wow, I'm eating all these healthy foods and I'm, you know, I'm eating whole foods and, and, and greens and all these things. And then I go to have a slice of pizza and I get a tummy ache. And I'm like, oh, my other friends and I eat burgers every day. And then nothing happens if they have a slice of pizza. I'm like, it's not fair. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm eating all of this healthy stuff. It's not working if like I eat something and then I feel sensitive to it. But then I realized it's like, and a friend of mine had told me this, it's like a, a Ferrari, if, you know, if you're putting, you know, if you change, if the fuel, for example, is is good and then you put something, you know, a less, something lower qu- quantity, it's not going to run properly. But if you're always putting something like bad into it, the body doesn't notice. And so then you become more sensitive and it's, let's say, a price you have to pay, but also that sensitivity comes with so much so much more because you can like I can eat something go mm, actually my body's not liking this and it's not good for me so I'm not going to eat it whereas we can emotionally eat all the time this is one of my things I emotionally eat I overeat but because I'm not I wasn't sensitive I wouldn't notice and now I notice like I'm like oh okay this is this is not um, conducive for my health yeah I think also something that we forget is that we say oh oh it's annoying that I'm sensitive to the bad stuff but it's also the other side of that coin is that you're also sensitive to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You can feel deeper levels of joy, yes. connection, creativity, etc. And for me, it's just a price totally worth paying because mm-hmm. those are the things that I really value. And if I can't feel those, then my quality of life is going to seriously deplete. So if the sensitivity comes with being sensitive to bad, then it's Uh, kind of worth it. Yes, totally. I totally agree. I mean, then eventually my body got used to it and then I never was even attracted to these things anymore. Um, It's quite rare that I feel like I want something because then automatically you don't want to put something into your body that you feel isn't good for it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, feeling good is much better than feeling bad. Uh (laughs) So, and I think, yeah, I'd love to use that to transition into like talking a little bit more about the joy of the inner work Mm -hmm. because maybe on this podcast I talk a little bit too much about you know the struggle and the the dark night of the soul and yes it's there right like we do have to as you said you know you had to really excavate on your relationship with your dad and your relationship with mine there's a lot of crap that we have to see Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not really fun but then on the other hand there is this insane beauty and depth Mm -hmm. of joy Mm -hmm. which for me personally I had never felt that much happiness in my life Mm -hmm from when I started doing this work. And for those people who are out there who are thinking, I should do a workshop or I should do a retreat or I know my life could be a bit happier, uh-huh. but I'm scared or I'm intimidated or I don't know what to expect. What What would you say to someone like that? Hmm. So I think the first thing that comes up is um, my relationship with my mom, which was a, like always a struggle for me it was always a struggle and I was very identified with being this this child angry at my mom and I was doing a lot of self-work and a lot of things and I just reached a point suddenly where um, I was in this retreat called the circle of being and it's a space where you just you go into the per- the pers- personas, you know, you go into these characters that you play. Sometimes we, we're so much in a character that we're not even the essence of who we are, but we're so used to being that character. We so believe we're that character. We can't even see ourselves beyond that, you know, the angry daughter, the hippie, you know, and we're constantly creating these new identities. And when I started to gain this awareness to like 
step behind that, step behind these characters as I was adopting and see that I wasn't really that. And in the moment, it allowed me to drop it and find this this peace, this feeling of like God, of nature, of universe, of oneness, that it didn't even matter, all of these stories, all of these pains, all of these things that like gripped me and like, oh, my, my relationship with my mother. And, and it allowed me to be so much more em- empathic and and less like reactive to my mom. And, you know, when she'd say something, oh, you didn't brush your hair today. When I was younger, I used to flip, you know, I used to be like, what do you mean I brush my hair? My I always now. remember that brushing your oh, hair thing. And now she stops doing it, but not because... So I mean, that's why you cut your hair yes, so no, short. Yes, no, it's totally why I cut my hair <laughs> short. No, I'm not, I'm not lying, totally. But she stopped doing it, not because my hair looks neater, <laughs> but because I stopped being gripped by these things, you know? She'd seen them and I just, I just, I realized that I was missing the point in life. I was taking care of my mom, going to visit her, trying to be a good daughter, taking care of her. But I wasn't really loving her. I wasn't really loving, I was missing the point. I was so caught up in taking care of her. I wasn't really, really being next to her and enjoying her presence and just being with her, enjoying her. I was like like doing things out of obligation, just going to see her because she wanted me to see her. It's Christmas, we have to put up the Christmas tree. There was this like bitterness to it. And when I realized that I was acting from this identity who I really believed I was, I really believed my relationship was never going to change. Even though I'm doing all the spiritual work, I was always going to have this relationship with my mom. I so believed it. And when I stepped behind that and I realized how I was so fixated on this identity that it just all fell away. And I still react to my mom, you know, but it doesn't have this charge anymore and I can drop it much easier unless I'm I'm (laughs) premenstrual. But um, I have so much joy with just being around my mom now and I, I can just so not react to all the things that used to bother me when I was younger. And our relationship is so much more beautiful and it just really, it makes me cry sometimes because... I never thought this would happen and I never thought I could not be so... I I could just enjoy my mom's company and just purely love her and not react to all the things that make made me feel unworthy. And now I just sort of say, this is how she is and it's fine and I love her and I can enjoy her. And automatically she stopped... She stopped poking me as well, you know, because there wasn't that resistance. And that for me, you know, my relationship with my parents is one of the things that I feel just every day, I just feel great, grateful for that, you know, being able to just enjoy them. And and besides that, just having a lot more connection um, in my life to, to nature, to being able to walk in the street and re- remember that like, oh, there's nature and look at the sky and feel gratitude for the air on my face and, you know, and have a lot more authentic relationships, being able to really say what I'm feeling, being able also to call up what's in the space. You know, sometimes we meet someone and something feels really off, but we're so, at least I was so accustomed to sort of not bring up the uncomfortable elephant in the room, you know, like she's not feeling very good, but we sort of numb our intuition that tells us that, you know, and when I could sort of say, hey, I feel like you're a bit off today, how are you feeling, you know, and then, you know, then it allows them to open up and share like what's going on for them, and we all have this capacity to feel into the space of what's going on, even if people we don't know, and this is what happens in the circle of being, you know, it will be somebody you don't know, you've just met them, and automatically you can feel, you can feel into their, their, their traumas, you can feel into their identity, into their masks, you can feel it straight away, it's incredible. But we're so used to drowning that, those feelings out, like, no, no, no. We even do these intuitive exercises where 
we sit across from each other and it's it's to train and trust our intuition so i'll sit there and i'll have to think of let's say a uh milestone in my life for 15 minutes think of the the milestone the emotions the story just think of it and the other person is sitting in front of me there's no dialogue and they're just writing down what they're feeling they're literally writing down what's what's coming up for them and they're encouraged to write down anything you get a random thought even if it sounds weird just write it down you know and then we switch and the results are so incredible like i just sat in front of someone and i could i could um I I felt into the whole story of his bro- his um, his his cousin had had a crash because he had overdosed and then he was going to die and like I literally said the whole story just from just feeling into sitting him there and for me I was blown away because I was like what oh, this is crazy like we have the capacity to do this you know but we all have this capacity but and in the exercises we think oh no it's this crazy I'm going to write down car crash what's he going to say you know like a car crash then you say it and he's like yes it was a car crash I'm like what <laughs> We so don't trust it. No, this is this is not real. This is you know that we don't listen to it, and we all have this capacity. And this is what we cultivate in this retreat. Um, we have this capacity, but at the same time, instead of training it, we're numbing suppressing. It. Yes, it exactly. It's, we're numbing. It's ah, uh, it's difficult to handle as well. That kind of sensitivity, unless yes. you're trained to to hold it. Yes, because it can be overwhelming if you're constantly feeling. You know, you have to protect yourself as well because if you're constantly em- empathizing with everything, you know. And it's I believe this also that any anything that comes up in another person that you haven't dealt with in yourself is a struggle to hold. Yes. Right? You can't hold space yes, exactly. and stay neutral if that thing is triggering you. Uh-huh. Then you're yes, in and your crack. In a way it's just an opportunity because if it's in there, it needs to come out. Otherwise it's gonna stay in there and it's gonna develop into something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is why we have uh, you know an endemic of mental illnesses, you know, and cancer and all of these things are building up because of all our suppression of emotions. And we, we're not taught about how to deal with pain at school. We're not taught like, okay, this is a painful emotion. Can we just sit in that pain and that discomfort? Or are we going to judge it as, oh, it's, it's not happy, so it's negative. So let's hide it. Mm-hmm. We just This is just not society's culture, you know. Yes. Which is, for me, really sad because mm-hmm. it's, it can bring so much relief and freedom and just feels so good Uh uh-huh just so much peace and and this is why i'm passionate about the deep ecology um because it's it brings in the pain of the world because that's another level yeah so there's just for those listening maybe want to explain a bit what Mm -hmm. the deep ecology is because yes uh not everyone will yes um so with um so what we're talking about is suppressing our own emotions from our own experiences from you know our lives and what we experience and then there's another level which is the pain of the world so you know when we're scrolling on facebook and we see a war in syria destruction deforestation we've come a bit trained to like just scroll you know oh that's happening i can't do anything about it keep going but on a really deep level we all feel that we all really feel that pain but it's so so many things happening in the world that we've just become on this automatic let's just scroll keep going white noise and in this deep ecology work, I invite that pain into the space. So I invite the pain of the world, the pain of nature, the pain of people suffering, all the pain. We all have our own things that touch us separately. Um, and I invite all of these things into the space because once we can feel that together, 
and and like with our own inner pain, we, once we can feel that and allow it to be there and let it pass through us, it creates more healing. And also it creates more empowerment to act from this place of unity as 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 human beings. And this work comes from this um, this woman, Joanna Macy. Um, it's called The Work That Reconnects. And she... I learned it from this really awesome community in New Zealand. And um, she she basically was an activist and she decided the only way, or she, through her experiences, the only way to create positive change is by bringing human people together and bringing them into the pain of what's happening to our world and passing through that together, holding each other's hand and not seeing separation between humans and between people in government and politics, but seeing us all as human beings and sort of through that acknowledgement of that pain and the feeling of it, be able to sort of move forward and make an impact on, on our lives and the planet and each other. So it's it's a hard to explain the process, but it's through exercises of connection and and allowing to experience pain, you you step in into a place where you're, you're more present with reality and you become more sensitive as well. And I, I love the work because especially if you're really passionate about these things and you want to make a difference, it's really important for the world. Totally. I mean, I, you know, resonate completely with that. I really believe that we have this, you know, collective pain mm-hmm. and collective, um, Carl Jung called it the collective unconscious. Mm-hmm. And actually it is our duty to not just take responsibility for our own pain, but that's the first step. But once you've made some progress with that, you actually have broader shoulders that you can help heal the pain of the world. Mm-hmm. And I had a really interesting experience when I I traveled abroad to do a breathing workshop. And there was a hundred different people in the room breathing. 50 people breathing and 50 people sitting and then we swapped. And you can imagine 50 receivers of consciousness all processing their different stuff. And at the end, we had a, a circle, a closing circle where a few people were sharing. Not everyone because it was just so many people. But a few people spoke up about what they felt they were healing. And there was this German guy who stood up and he was just, he was literally shaking with tears in his eyes. And he was just like, I'm sorry. And he just shared this really powerful speech about how he felt responsible for the things that Germany has done in Europe and all the people that, you know, were destroyed through the Nazis Mm. and all of that. And then he went even deeper to say, that like he felt the burdens that all fellow Germans mm. feel like this collective guilt and this heaviness mm. and that they can't, you know, forgive themselves for certain mm. things. And it was so powerful. I totally understand. It makes that like sense. him just yeah. standing up and saying like, I tapped into this pain today and I'm sorry, but I heal and I forgive. Mm. And literally, I don't think there was a dry eye in the whole room because you, you're so connected to what he felt and it was... You could feel like it's such a service for that one person to mm-hmm. stand up and heal a small part of that burden. Uh-huh. It's so connecting as well. You just feel like this is your brother. Uh-huh. And at the same time, I can really imagine, like imagine if I, if I was born in Germany, I can imagine having that, that guilt maybe, you know, and imagine how many people sort of have that and don't even acknowledge it, you know, and because there's this sort of like, What's the point of acknowledging it? You know, it's just sort of like I feel a bit guilty, but I'm not even going to look at that. You we know? don't. We don't even know because uh-huh, we're and it's not just, taught to feel it. And it's a reflection of so many other things. Being guilt, born guilty, guilty into privilege, the same yes, thing. You for know, sure. it's 
and we don't look at it because you know it's like oh we see someone who who maybe is struggling in poverty and automatically it comes up but we don't even acknowledge it because we don't want to face these things often and I experience that all the time yeah I mean we're not really given much tools yes like we happen to be lucky that we came across workshops uh-huh. or teachers or environments where other people showed us the way uh-huh and I certainly had people in my life who I saw doing this for themselves and thought, wow, they're happier than most people I know. Mm-hmm. They have a nicer presence and a really inspiring, uplifting energy. Why is that? Uh-huh. And seeing them doing their inner work encouraged me to do my own. But it was just luck in a way that I happened into that uh-huh. environment. And there are so many of us who just have never come across that that chance. And you know what I think also can because you asked me before what, what can spark that. I think nature can is definitely something that can spark that because I think the more time you spend in nature and the more you appreciate it, you start to feel such a sense of beauty in like the world. And it's so, we're so incredibly blessed to sort of experience the beauty of this world that the more you spend time with it, the more you start to feel like uh, part, part of, of, of one world, you know, and... I know sometimes it's hard to explain that, you know, you feel one, you feel like everyone is you and the whole world is you. But through nature, I really feel that's been such a healer for me because just the more time I spend with it, walking barefoot, swimming, you know, rock climbing, all of these things, just to be in the beauty of this is such a healer. And it can, uh, it's what led me to permaculture and, and wanting to grow food and all of these things because it, going back to the soil is can can lead down this path because it makes us more sensitive and more caring for plants and the earth and for animals yeah and as soon as you're caring in one area of your life it just goes to all areas maybe that's why we're destroying all our nature so we don't have to feel anymore it's interesting i'd really love to also just go back to a bit about what you were sharing about your relationship with your mom Mm -hmm. because i think it's something that a lot of people struggle with um I obviously meet a lot of people at Sanya who come here to do their inner work and I speak to lots of different people and I'm always telling people about my journey with my mom and how Mm -hmm. I really also changed my relationship when I realised that it's not my right to judge her, it's my right to love her and accept her as she is with all of those pains that that causes me because no mother is perfect and of course there are ways my mom acts that hurt me Mm -hmm. but being able to heal that and let go of that pain really helped me create this really nice bond with her now and it's Mm -hmm. one of the most precious relationships I have in my life but I think it's something that as a collective we really struggle with and especially women I feel Mm -hmm. like we find it very difficult to accept those judgments that we feel come from our parents and especially Mm -hmm. our mothers Mm -hmm. and yeah like any thoughts? <laughs> I don't have a question um, as such I just feel like I want to explore a bit deeper this, this, uh, this water for me the most important thing is catching myself. So if, because I still react to my mom and I can still, this monstrous side can come out of me. It comes much less and not for very long before it used to happen very often and very fast. Now, that's what awareness does. You know, you practice it, you practice it. And when you catch it, okay, I catch myself reacting to her. And then I think, who's reacting, you know? And then I, I say, okay, this is that pained little girl that's reacting, but that's not who I am. And I can step behind it and step behind the story of that pain. And being able to do that, things, oh, why am I reacting, man? Just, why, why does it even matter? You know, she wants to make this important and it's okay. Why do I need to? My ego wants to be right and my ego wants to like, 
you know, show her that it's not right, that should be a different way. Like, why? You know? And I still, obviously, I still fold all the time. But just catching myself makes it faster to be like, ah, okay, 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 ma, I love you and it's fine. You know, we don't need to go into this, you know? And so it's a practice, you know, it's a practice. And, um, I feel like, sorry uh to interrupt you, but I feel like nowadays, especially the younger generation, you know, our parents had a natural respect for authority and Mm -hmm. elders. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of went through this phase of rejecting that authority because Mm -hmm. we decided authority should come for a reason. So if we don't agree with how they act, then we don't need to respect them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just getting worse and worse as we, as the generations go down, it seems like we've kind of lost this respect and love for our parents. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite worrying, I think. Uh-huh, because our ego feels like we know better. And in a sense, we have a, we're a completely different generation. So I read somewhere that our generation is the most different generation from the last ever recorded in history. So our parent, like our parents are more like their parents than they are like us. So it's really normal that we're going to have these big clashes, especially our generation, because we value life in a very different way. You know, there are digital nomads, people wanting to travel, enjoy life. It's just a completely different perspective. People want to be in service of the world. It's just different. And it's it's really, understandably, it's really hard for us to understand each other. And the moment I realized that maybe I'm never actually going to be really fully understood by my parents the way you you understand me. And that's okay, you know. I have to stop trying to to make that happen because it's fine. They cannot understand me as long as I love them. Then it doesn't even matter. But my ego wanted to be seen by them, you know, wanted to be. But in a way, it's like once you made peace with yourself, yes, you understood yourself. Yes, exactly. You don't need that outside. Exactly. So it's like I had to realize I don't need that. I need to give this to myself. I need to get the approval from myself. I need to get. It's always back to self love for me. Always, always self-worth I think why am I needing that from someone else why do I need the approval from the outward it's always if I can love and accept myself as I am I'm not going to seek that outside of myself and that's where where most of the work lies and go within (laughs) go within (laughs) Ah, and and one moment with my mom was I had taken San Pedro in a ceremony and suddenly I went it's like I, I went into her child so I suddenly saw my mom as a child. I literally saw her. Literally, I felt I wasn't her, but I could feel see her little child, the the pains that she experienced, the lack of love in certain situations, like just wanting love and acceptance. And when I could see like this child in my mom, and not see her as this identity of my mother, when I could see, you know, this this maybe pains and trauma that she had experienced. I felt so much empathy, you know, she's just a human being and she just wants to be loved just like everyone else. And she has her own struggles with self-worth, just like everyone does. And that empathy and seeing her as a human being as also playing out her own characters just gave me so much empathy beyond like my mother, you know. (laughs) And that was a a real turning point in combination with all of this. For sure. And I think it's just such a service because we've heard... We were discussing this, I think it was yesterday, that, you know, science is showing that these emotional patterns actually get handed down. Mm-hmm. So any of your unresolved emotional crap basically gets passed on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. 
And I've known this for a long time and I've seen it, but there are these moments, I've had a few moments where it just like really hits home mm-hmm. how much I'm replaying the patterns of my mother and her mother. And it's really, really fascinating. <laughs> You're just like, oh my God. And now what, my next generation are going to just keep doing the same yeah. thing? Yeah, and in a way, just the awareness of that, you know, gives you the power to to not necessarily pass that down. Yeah, you know? so they take a different choice, uh-huh. which, you know, you have the weight of history and lineage uh-huh. behind you. But I, t- I do believe that when we have that intention to make a different choice, mm-hmm. the support for us to do that definitely comes in. Uh-huh. And it's like everyone has their own family issues let's say you know and as you said it's like they're coming down from generation and building up in a way and we also have the power to to heal that you know and not necessarily take that take that on um if that's the intention of something that we want to to bring in because sometimes we feel just trapped by it you know like this is this is this is my life and i can't change it and this is just how life is but we always have that power to, to to change it you know if we're willing to dive into the into the pain and the darkness and feel that we won't, you know, it won't kill us in the end. It will actually make us stronger. And also dive into the light, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I find myself a lot when I talk about the inner work, talking a lot about how we have to face the pain and the mm-hmm. shadows. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, facing the light is often mm-hmm. just as hard, if not harder, mm-hmm. because our potential scares us. Yes. Because it's a responsibility and it's mm. a, a duty also. Like if we have this light within us, um, maybe I have to fulfill it. Yes, right? that is if scary. I, if I have the archetype <laughs> of the hero, then maybe I have to actually get off my ass and climb that mountain, yes. which can be so petrifying. Um, but that's where all the joy lies, uh-huh. right, on, on us diving into the essence of who we are whether it's light dark there's always going to be a bit of everything in there uh-huh definitely i mean for me every time i've gone into that darkness i always came out into the light and it's such a beautiful place and then in a way so you you also become comfortable with the, with the with the pain like not necessarily like for me there's pain which is something we all experience as human beings and then there's suffering which is just not accepting pain so in that pain, there's actually a lot of beauty. And this is also an inspiration of my mom. She had 20 years of back pain. And to just sort of find her peace and being okay in that pain, it just gave me so much inspiration, you know, because it's easy to, to go into the story of like, oh, I have this problem and I'm so unlucky. And, you know, and that's why gratitude is such an amazing practice because we have so also so many things to be grateful for that we, we don't focus on that. We focus on the things that we want to be different and want to improve and... You know, and, and we don't see the gratitude uh-huh. for the hard things like the speeding tickets. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like when I force myself that when you don't want to do gratitude, that's the moment when you really need totally, to do it. Totally. And it can just complete like just a minute. Sometimes we do sharing circles and we end with a minute of gratitude. And you know, if it doesn't end the way you want it to, and you're feeling a bit of resistance, and then it's like, oh, gratitude. Now <laughs> I have to feel grateful for something. I'm really not feeling good. You know. And then after a minute of like, okay, what am I grateful for? Not maybe this moment, but my parents. This. And then suddenly it just transforms and you think, wow, how quick to just get out of the density of my mind. It's actually always fascinates me how easy it is to change when we just choose to. Mm-hmm. It's like having to make the choice to change is just by far the hardest part. Because as soon as you've actually decided, then 
That's the true. slightest thing can, like you said, just uh-huh. like thinking of gratitude uh-huh. can completely change your mood. Uh-huh. It's like with yoga, don't they say the hardest thing is to get on the mat? Yeah. And then once you're there, once you're, you're, there, uh-huh. you're good. <laughs> uh-huh. Amazing. Yeah, I, t- I really, you know, always, uh, the whole inspiration behind this podcast is to encourage people to go within because my life changed so much through it. And, and every single person I interview on this podcast has had some kind of transformation from going within. And that's my only barometer mm-hmm. that I use for choosing my guests, uh-huh. <laughs> really. I, I think something I want to share, actually, is that the trust in life is really something that is really powerful. Because if I had to logically um, make decisions based on like logic or what I've sort of seen happening in the world and I have to decide how to make my next step, I, I would never be where I am today and I always well not always but I often try to make a decision from what my intuition was telling me to do whether it sounded irrational alternative crazy and every every time we follow this intuition something I experience something in life where I'm like well I would have never ever gone down this road if this hadn't happened and it, it it it's like you can go through years of it not making sense and then suddenly it all makes sense. All of those crazy decisions, all of those random experiences, those random trips. That person you had met at one time, they, it just all magically makes sense. And when I experience these moments of like, Ilalu, you know, this is, this is why it's all happened, then I have this immense trust for life and I just, it reminds me to keep trusting. Okay, at the moment it's not the way I think it should go. You know, it's not flowing, but that illusion of not flowing is most of the time already to flow and it's leading you some, somewhere else. It's like when you lose a job or something like that and you think, oh, it's not flowing and, you know, it's not going the way I want. Why is life so shit? You know, but we don't even understand that underneath at all, that's leading us somewhere we're supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, if you zoom out, the universe has an intelligence and a plan that is greater than what we can see by just looking at one tiny part. It's mm-hmm. like we're on a massive jigsaw and we're just seeing one uh-huh. one little part. We're like, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? Totally. I'm really glad that you you know, brought that into the conversation because I think it's really ties in very well with everything we've been saying, you know, going within, trusting in yourself, trusting in a greater plan for yourself and... And just trusting that if you do the work and go within, then slowly, slowly everything in life falls into place. It doesn't mean you're not going to be challenged. It doesn't mean you're still not going to get kicked in the ass every now and then. I mean, it's life at the end of the day. But you discover this inner ability to live Mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the greatest gift in in this kind of time, which is so stressful. Mm -hmm. And... One simple thing that helps me is that I think, okay, if everything falls apart, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go hungry. I'm pretty sure there's always going to be one person who's going to give me a meal. So if I don't have that fear, it drops a lot of all the other things. It's just my, my, you know, my ego that wants to be a success that makes the, the illusion of fear. It's like, you know, oh, but I don't want to be a successful human being, you know. And then once I realize that I'm trying to do that and then all of the stress and all the anxiety goes. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm worrying about, oh, what if this doesn't go well? What if I don't get that bill paid? You know, I think, it's okay, I'll fail. And this thing that I thought was a success, but I'll still be okay, you know? <laughs> I'll still be alive. I'll still be alive. Still have my I'll breath. still keep going, you know, and it will, it will pass. Yeah. And the, as well, I realized 
control is a big thing and I always want to control everything and it's hilarious that I think I'm controlling my life in a way for sure there are elements I make decisions and things happen because of that and I have choices I make but the bigger picture is beyond me and beyond my capacity to control my life and the trust in that the trust in the in the higher the higher energy of God and the universe and all of these things is um is beyond me so I just trust that it's just all going to work out reminding me of that quote humans make plans and god laughs <laughs> exactly exactly and that's that's a hilarious a hilarious thing. when i realized i'm like oh, i made all these plans they completely went the opposite way and it worked and out even better, better. Yeah. Like, okay lal, it happened again <laughs> so Al, i think we're gonna start to bring this conversation home okay um i'd love to um just talk a little bit about your wellness in the workplace programs because it's something that I really admire you for doing. I think it's really super needed and I'm very passionate about this project. So I'd love if you could just tell our listeners out there a little bit about it. Okay, so yeah, I guess through this journey of life, um, I've experienced a lot of burnout, <laughs> as you know. And those experiences... Um, led me to to learn a lot of different practices and a lot of things that really support with with the stresses of life you know the anxiety of life we are living a very complicated world and a lot of these tools and practices we talked about are really supportive to help us to come back to ourselves to have more awareness more gratitude more connection with human beings and also more focus you know meditation and all of these things they really help us to be focused and present and be more productive and you know our phones and all of these the digital digital d- dementia they call it really hinders our ability to be present and focused and a lot of these workshops are tailor made by tribe my company to by a group of facilitators we're about 14 10 facilitators and we have 14 workshops and through all of these things i've experienced through organizing festivals and meeting loads of facilitators and experiencing a lot of modalities we've tailor-made a program of these workshops that are specifically for people in professional environments because I realized even though I'm re- I was really enjoying a lot of the, the events in the festival world and bringing these all of these these values into these places I felt a bit like I feel like these could be really benefited in a in a more corporate setting for people who just don't have time to go and learn these things and they don't have time to go to India and do a yoga course, you know. So why not um, adapt these these tools and these techniques and bring them into these environments in bite sizes and, and really support people's wellness, mm-hmm. you know. And burnout is just becoming a crazy a crazy problem. Like the, the WHO has actually acknowledged it as a disease mm-hmm. you know and so many companies invest so much money on on sick leave turnover of staff that a lot of these things are really supportive to having a, just a really nice work environment because if you're going to spend all your time at a work environment why not do it in a way that nourishes you um we do like desk yoga we do things like um connection and trust building there's Tai Chi, we have workshops about posture and endurance, um, workshops on even just healthy chocolate making. So a lot of playful things, a lot of things that explain the science behind the power of meditation and 
all of like fitness. So it's it's really broad. Nutrition just brings in all of these things that let's say have supported me in my life, and have a, a lot of qualified facilitators and trainers. Um, you're one of them, <laughs> and um, ah, I really enjoy sharing these things in these environments. So, yeah. Yeah, I always say if you go to work just for a paycheck, it's really sad mm-hmm. because the the best thing about work is that you can grow as a human being, get new skills, learn new things, and why not the inner skills as well as the outer skills? So I think this is so, so needed. So to any of our listeners, you know, if you're in HR or if your company is open to having more holistic workshops, Alex is the lady to contact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll put all her contact details in the show notes, but her company is called Thrive, so you can find her on Facebook. And your website is? Um, Thrivemorta.com. Thrivemorta.com. Awesome. So thank you, Al. You're welcome. It was a nice conversation. Glad Better than I could have planned it, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to share a little bit of inspiration always for the inner, inner journey. So thank you for... for really sharing your your heart and soul with us thank you for creating this podcast it's really i'm I'm sure it has a lot of value and benefit for a lot of people thank you and thank you everyone for listening as always i tell you i'm so so grateful in a world which is so obsessed with the outer materialistic things for me to attract a tribe of listeners who really value the inner world and value the same things that I value, it's really a blessing and it is something I am truly grateful for. I really would like to humbly ask you to like and share, especially share this episode with anyone you know who might be going through a tough time, maybe they're um, dealing with some burnout, maybe they just need a little bit of a push to get to that next workshop where they might have that aha moment that inspires them to live a deeper and more fulfilling life. That's why I sit down and do these podcasts They don't generate any sort of income. It's just really a passion project that I want to tell stories that can support and help other people on the inner journey. So thank you so much for your support and see you again next time. Mm.